Well, we're going to talk about the glory of God today, but I, I thought before we would do that, I just want to pause. One of the Greek words for, for glory is doxa, which we, in the church I was raised, I don't know who started this tradition, but went on for my entire life, and I was there for 20 plus years. We would sing the doxology. Now, if you don't know what the doxology is, you're not deemed as less loving and less spiritual. But does anybody here know, have you ever heard of the doxology? Raise your hand up high if you've heard of the doxology. Have you ever sang the doxology? Okay. Amen. Well, I just found this online, and we're just going to, I just want to prepare our hearts, get ready, and thinking about glorifying God. Let's go ahead and play uh, the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. From whom all blessings flow, praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That is exactly what we sounded like when we sang that in our little church, just like that. I, I always love, too, how uh, they're sitting at a church, but just in case you didn't know that, that was definitely a studio recording of that song uh, that they sang, because sometimes I feel sorry for worship teams, like, why can't the worship team sound perfect like that? Because if we went to a studio and pre-recorded everything, and then they lip-synced it, then yeah, we could... We could do that, but thank you, worship team, for the wonderful job you do. That was not meant to sound like. <laughs> Amen. I've never talked on the topic, as far as I remember, of, of us glorifying God. I've talked about the glory of God, but I don't know if I've ever talked about us glorifying God. We talked about a lot of tough issues last week, and there's always, a, even if that didn't apply to you, anything we talked about, there's always something in our lives that, that we need to submit to God and how, how can we do that? How, and part of it is to understand this concept of glorifying God. And so we're going we're to look at that and, and dissect that a little bit today. 
how to glorify God, what glory is. The, again, the Greek word for, for glorifying God is doxa. Um, it, it actually is kind of cool. The, the word means to examine or to have an opinion. And, but, but that examination and opinion moves us. But spiritually speaking, it says when, it, when we're having an opinion or examining something when it comes to a spiritual matter, especially God, it's always a good opinion. So then we understand this good opinion. This, we've examined God and we discover, oh my goodness, he is so good. Then it moves into praise, worship, honor, and glorifying him. That, that's the end result of that, that, that examining God. And oh my goodness, when we examine God, he, he is not found wanting, is he? He's not found like, well, you didn't quite measure up. He's exceeding abundantly above everything we can ask, think, or imagine. And so our God is so amazing. Now, the Hebrew word that's similar to that would be kabah or kabod, and it means the weightiness of God. Now, not in a negative way, because oftentimes we use weightiness like, I felt like the weight of the world was on my shoulders, or I carry this heavy weight of a burden. But the weightiness of God in the Old Testament means his presence is thick. It's, it's manifest, it's, it's tangible, and you, you've encountered the weightiness of the presence of God. What a beautiful thing that we, we catch in a glimpse of and then work towards living our lives in a way that we live in the glory of God and express glory to God. So God's revealed uh, personality, his revealed traits, and we all have to figure there's a lot we haven't, that hasn't been revealed to us about God. He's so limitless. But his revealed, God's glory is revealed in his goodness, in his beauty, in his power, in his majesty, in his brilliance, his intellect, his love, his compassion, his holiness, his truth, his righteousness, all these and a thousand more things. All of his goodness in every dimension. All of his goodness in every dimension is oh, his glory. What God essentially is, what, what God is and what he does is his glory. What he is and what he does is his glory. It's a revelation, a revealing, an understanding, an unveiling of his glory. See, when we start dealing with things in our lives, uh, no matter how hard or tough they are, in order for us to really make progress, we need to start understanding and seeing the glory of God because we don't change easily unless something is, there's some impetus, some kind of motivation to change, and the glory of God can become that. And so God reveals himself to Moses as I am. His first revelation to Moses is, I exist. I was not created. I was not made. But I am. God is. He exists from everlasting to everlasting, from forever past to forever future, God is. Now, if you were raised in church and talked about God, went to Sunday school classes and stuff like that, there had to be some point in your life, maybe you even had this thought this week. Who made God? Where did God come from? What, what caused God to exist? And the only right answer is, no one made God. Amen. He always was always is. He's eternal. When, when you start pondering that, 
you can start going, wow, the weightiness of God. How, how amazing he, he always was. See, when I think about God, I short circuit. I can go so far and then my brain just runs out of capacity to know God. And when my brain runs out of capacity to know God, you know what I should do? Glorify him. Amen. Worship him. Give him honor. Give him praise. Because my mind gets blown. It's kind of like outer space. Has anybody ever had this thought? I do. We're not real good at thinking of things being infinite, are we? And so, I remember, especially when I was younger, I thought, when, if you were in a rocket ship flying through outer space, wouldn't you come to an end of it somewhere? I mean, wouldn't you just bump into a wall? But then you think, but what would be on the other side of the wall? More infinite space. God's infinite. It ought to blow our minds and make us think about how amazing God is. So, what does it mean to glorify God? We are agreeing with, and joyfully so, we are celebrating who God is and what he does. We pause to be overwhelmed by the weightiness of God. But you do need to pause sometimes. I will find myself, and I know you hear me talk about this with regularity, especially out here, there's beautiful, there's beautiful nighttime skies, not so much in a town, uh, it diminishes, but uh, go outside in a dark night, especially there's, there's no moon, stars are out there, and you just look up at the starry sky, and oh my goodness, you ought to be overwhelmed by the weightiness of God. That, that would always overwhelm me, and then I found a Bible verse that says this, God knows every star by name. I, I, this is just me. I don't think that's figurative. I think that's literal. And then I just get blown away because I think, oh my goodness, I, I, I forget stuff all the time. God has so much excess capacity that he just says, I think I'll just name every star. I, think, I know what I'll do. I still got more capacity left. I'm going to keep track of every person's hair on their head. I still got more capacity. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to watch, according to people, the most meaningless bird on the planet, and not one of them's going to fall, but what my eye catches it. I still got more capacity. What am I going to do? God never, he's limitless in his capacity, and that ought to make us just want to glorify God, but we got to get a right glimpse of God. So we start living our life, we start living and loving and seeing things through the lens of the glory of God, and when we live that way, we're glorifying God. But I do want to say this, because we have a tendency, me, you, all of us, we have a tendency to think that things that glorify God are like really spiritual things. Like we can glorify God when we were singing songs of praise. We can glorify God if we're studying the scripture. Or we're at church today, we can glorify God. We can glorify God when we're in prayer. But I want you to know this. We're designed to glorify God 24-7. You're designed to glorify God at work. Yeah, you don't know where I work. Well, I can tell you this. If you work in a really bad place, guess what? They need to see the glory of God through someone. At school, in the neighborhood, in the grocery store, in the hardware store, everywhere. Glorify God. You and I should glorify God when we mow the grass, change the oil in the car, 
do the dishes, vacuum the floor. We should glorify God. Our lives are all about God is so good. We glorify God with everything. It doesn't have to be what seems to be a spiritual thing. It is spiritual. This is Romans 12, 1 and 2. When we present ourselves to God, that is our reasonable act of worship. That's worship, just living our daily lives in the glory of God. Now, why should we glorify God? Because he is. Well, but he hasn't done anything for me lately. That's really not true. You are sitting in this building today. You're sitting in this building today. There is, there was enough health in you, enough breath in you, enough life in you, enough resources to be here. He's done a lot for you. He, he is good to people all the time. He's good to atheists. He's good to people who mock him. He's good, he's good, good, good. What, what do we used to say? All the time, all the time God is good. So we begin to look at this and we see his utter majesty and then we see Revelation 4.11. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. So we agree with the Acts 17.28. For in him, in God, we live and move and have our being. We exist because God exists. So we begin to comprehend the enormity of God. Now here's a key. So if you drifted off a little, come back, come back. Here's a key. When we begin to examine the enormity of God, it shifts us from focusing on us to focusing on him. You say, well, why is God so interested in, in being glorified? Uh, is he an egomaniac? Does he, is he saying, well, Tracy, I sure hope you glorify me today because my self-image is slipping a little. I'm feeling a little down. No, God doesn't do any of that. I, I, I want to make this point. Everything God instructs us to do is for our good. God will be no more God or no less God if we all rejected him right this second and stormed out the door. He would be no more God, no less God, if every one of us went into the deepest relationship we've ever had with him. Everything he instructs us to do is for our good. Satan and sin comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, one of the reasons I came is that you might have life and have it to the fullest measure, have it overflowing. God is good. So when our focus gets off us and gets on him. Remember this? Remember the disciples of John the Baptist? They said, hey John, heads up. We got a problem with our ministry. Our ministry's nosediving. We're losing our people to your cousin Jesus. You remember John the Baptist's words? He must increase and I must decrease. That should be the battle cry for me and for you. I must decrease. Jesus must increase. And when that happens, life gets better, not worse. It gets better. Now, I've, I've taught this part before, and I want to remind you of it. Something I just, digging through scriptures, came to this conclusion. You can do with it what you want. Think it through with me. Let's look at this, Proverbs 20, 29. The glory of young men is their what? The splendor of old man is their gray head. 
Often gray hair, white hair in the Bible is referred to as wisdom because you got some life experience going there. So the glory of young men is their strength, and the glory of older men is their wisdom. So, so what's that mean? When we glory in something, it's what we're most proud of. It's our best trait. It is, it's the thing we're, we're best at. And so a young person says, I don't have the extra 50 years of life experience. I don't have all the knowledge and wisdom and life experience, but I'm really strong. You know, I can lift this. I can carry this. I can work hard. I can run far. I can do all these things. I have this physical strength. And so the young man glories in their strength. The old man glories in his wisdom, his gray hair. He may not be as strong as he once was. He can't brag about that. But he has got some life experience and some wisdom, and that becomes his best strength, his best attribute, his highest trait, his wisdom. So I'm reading that, and then one day, just I want to peek into this story here with Moses and God. And let's look at Exodus 33, this interchange between them. And Moses said, please show me your what? Glory. Please show me your glory. Then God said, I will make all my what? Goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. The most literal translation is, I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. So now think about this. Moses said, God, I want to see your glory. And God replies by saying, okay. And what does he connect to his glory? Now remember, the young man's strongest uh, trait is his strength. The older man's best trait is his wisdom. And so God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you my goodness. Now, when you start comparing God with old men and young men, the illustration falls apart because God's not a man. Also, God never wanes and dips in any of his traits and abilities, or he never accelerates and gets better. God's not saying today, man, I'm so glad that I know what I know now. I mean, a hundred millennia ago, I did not know this. No, he, he always has known. His traits don't change. He doesn't get better. He doesn't get worse. He's always at 100% all the time. But he chooses to show Moses, in answer to his request, his goodness. His goodness. God says, I'm going to show you my goodness, and I'm going to say my name as I pass by. God's goodness and his name. Now, this is just my speculation, because can we all agree with this? It wasn't like God said, I think I'm better at goodness, and I'm not so good at wisdom. I'm not so good at this. No, God's excellent at everything. I was thinking about this. I thought, what if God would have said, Moses, I'm going to let all my intellect pass before you. You know, it would have been like he wouldn't have got that. But we all understand goodness. And God says, I'm going to let all my goodness pass before you. And I'm going to declare my name as I walk by. God's goodness and his name. You know, why, why should we stop taking the name of the Lord in vain immediately because it is a defamation of his glory. And by the way, taking the name of the Lord in vain is not just I said God before a cuss word. There's lots of things you could do. I mean, there, there are people, uh, maybe you want to win an argument or, or you're trying to manipulate somebody or letting, wanting to think you're really super spiritual. 
let's say Darlene and I were saying, what do we want to do, A or B? And Darlene says, I think we should do A. And I said, I think we should do B. And then Darlene said, I think we should be, do A. And the Lord hasn't, but I say, well, the Lord showed me that we should do B. If the Lord didn't really show me that, that's taking the name of the Lord in vain. I'm using his name as a manipulation tool or to make her think I'm spiritual or to get my way. That's a use of the Lord's name in vain. So we need to not do that. And we should cease and desist immediately saying that God is mean or he's unjust or he's cruel or he's unkind because that's a lie. God is good. He's good. And his goodness is one of his key attributes. Now, they're all, I do want you to understand this, they're all flawless. He's not better at goodness than he is at wisdom. He's fantastic. He's A++ at all of them. But he chose to show us his goodness. I think that's where God gets beat up a lot by people. Well, if God's so good, then why this? Well, if God's so good, why that? Well, let me tell you, God said he's good. And he's not a liar. He's not a man that he should lie, and so he's good. Also, if you study the Bible, the people who knew God best said this about him, that he is slow to anger. Now, now think about this. Doesn't the world think God is over-caffeinated and he's on edge all the time and he's just ready to get you? But those who knew God best said, no, he's slow to anger. In fact, a couple of his attributes really troubled them. He's slow to anger, he's abounding in love, and he hates or relents from sending calamity or judgment or wrath. Now you think, why would those trouble them? Because when somebody has treated you wrong, you don't want God to be slow to anger. You want God to be slow to anger for you, but for them. And when he says, I am... I hate to send judgment. You're saying, don't hate it. Send it, brother. Come on. Send that judgment. (laughs) Remember, uh, uh, was it James and John? Shall we call down fire from heaven on them? I mean, James and John are ready to, let's do it now. And Jesus said, you don't even know what spirit you're of. Because the spirit of God is slow to anger, abounding in love, and he hates to send judgment. In fact, if you'll really be a student of the Old Testament, you will find that there's people that you and I would have judged a whole lot quicker, but God's slow. He sometimes dealt with evil uh, people groups for generations. Generations. That's how slow he is to anger. But the world says, oh, God's just mad all the time. He's always out to get people. He's out to get you with some goodness. That's what he has. He wants to pour out some goodness on you. You say, well, I don't know. That sounds kind of like pie-in-the-sky preaching. What it sounds like to me, I'm very serious about this, it sounds like Bible preaching. Because I'll tell you what else the Bible says. He says, do you show contempt for the goodness and kindness of God? Isn't that interesting? Those are the two traits. Do you show contempt for the goodness and kindness of God? For it is the goodness and kindness of God that leads you to repentance. Now, repentance is not just a preacher screaming repent with blood vessels popping out of their neck. Uh, Repentance in its purest sense means this, to think differently after. Information has come, you have examined the information, and you have enough humility to say, 
wow, I think differently about this now. And if you really examine God, you will say, wow, he is so good and so kind to me. God says, my goodness and kindness has a purpose. It's designed to get you to change your mind about me and come to me in a relationship. However, I don't know if you know this or not, but a lot of people don't want a relationship with God. He says, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you, you won't let your, your mind change. You are storing up wrath for yourself against the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. So there is a day of wrath, but God hates to send wrath. What he sends, and he's sending over and over and over, is goodness and kindness and goodness and kindness. Today, there are atheists who are enjoying a rain out there on their crops, and it's going to help them uh, make money when they sell their crops, and God's pouring out kindness upon them. He didn't say, I'm only going to let the rain fall on the Christian farmers. He says, I let the rain fall. By the way, rain's a good thing. So many, I've heard so many times people go, well, you know, like we all say, we've got to have a little bit of rain. This is an agricultural community. Rain was not a bad thing. He said, I caused the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He's good to the righteous and the unrighteous. It's designed to change our mind, but sometimes we won't change our mind. And people say this, two, two different people who evangelize a lot, who are very well-known, Josh McDowell and Jim Dennison, say that people say, well, I just don't know this about God, and I don't know about that about God. And so they started asking this question years ago. If I could answer all your questions about God, and I could satisfactorily answer them, would you give your life to Jesus? They said, today there's not been one person who said yes. It's just an excuse. Because to give your life to Jesus means i got to change and line up with him. And people don't want to do that. But oh, if they would know that if we would change and line up with him, we would have life abundant. So that's God's heart and goal. So the goodness of God, the kindness of God, God is good. Do not be embarrassed or ashamed to expect God's goodness on your life. Well, I don't know. I just read this or talked to you about it, people. Listen to me. God's good and kind to the unrighteous and the wicked. You're a believer. Then God's good and kind to you. I'm really, like, good and kind to my children. I'm not so good and kind maybe to your children, but I'm really good and kind to my children. But God has a totally different capacity than I have. He has a capacity to be good and kind, and that's what he said causes us to change your mind. So here's a human problem, and this human problem causes more problems. It's in Romans 1, 21 and 28. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile or empty or darkened, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. When we say, I don't think God's worth being glorified. I don't think he's worth being remembered. I don't think he's worth giving thanks to. Then God says, okay, well, do whatever you want then. You can be turned over to a depraved or, or darkened mind and do what ought not be done. 
I mean, how gracious is that? God saying, you want to do life on your own terms and reject me? Have at it. You are welcome to do so. Now, is that God's will and his best for people? Absolutely not. So how do we glorify God? You know, we want to retain the knowledge of God. We want to be thankful. We want to give him glory. How do we do that? Well, here's where we struggle. And we always have to give ourselves over to the help, the hope, the power, the presence, the promise, the, the ability of the Holy Spirit to help us. Because you and I, without the Holy Spirit, you and I, without God, are not really good at seeking God. We're not really good at running after God. We're not really good at saying no to us and yes to him. But the Holy Spirit will help us. I saw on a t-shirt, Darlene and I were out of town a few weeks ago, I saw this t-shirt. It said, I tried to behave, but there were too many options. And I thought, that's the human dilemma. I tried to behave, but there were too many options. Well, when I just try to behave in my own strength, there's too many options out there. So I need to say, Lord, I need your strength. I need your strength. I need to see life through your eyes. I need to understand your blessing. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 has a big chunk of it. It's about sexual immorality. Okay, we talked some about that last week, both heterosexual, homosexual. There's all kinds of sexual immorality, prostitution, bestiality, pedophilia, incest. Uh, uh, We say, boy, the world's in a bad place. The world's always been like this. Read your Old Testament. We think, well, but there's current things in our culture. If, if you remember the 60s, the 60s, it was titled the sexual revolution. The 1960s. I know some of you are going, wow, that was like last millennia. I can't even think back that far. But the 1960s, here was the, the battle cry of the 1960s. If it feels good, do it. Bumper stickers were made of that. Posters were made of it. If it feels good, do it. Whatever feels good. Having an orgy feels good, do it. Being a homosexual feels good, do it. Committing adultery feels good, do it. Fornicating, do it. Whatever feels good, do it. Well, God will say, don't do whatever feels good. Do what's right. And don't just do what feels good, do what is good. And the Holy Spirit will help us with that. And so here it says, and he's just, Paul's just talking this whole passage on sexual immorality. He said, uh, you're believers, you, your body, you need to watch how you use your body. Should the members of Christ be joined to a prostitute for you become one with them? And he, he's teaching on sexual immorality to Christians. And he just talked about all this, joining yourself to a prostitute. And he says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Now, I know this is mind-blowing. Say, Are you telling me that there were... Christians who were having relationships with prostitutes? Yes, that's what I'm telling you. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, here he's saying, don't do that because you have the Holy Spirit in you. Do lost people have the Holy Spirit in them? Are lost people the temple of the Holy Spirit? No, this is Christians he's talking to. So you say, so it's okay to do that? No, it's not okay to do that. That's why Paul's saying, this is not right. Stop, cease, desist. This is awful. This is not the way believers should behave. So, now, can believers do just about any wrong thing you think of? Yes, but there's a difference between that and practicing a lifestyle that says, well, I'm just going to go ahead and live a lifestyle having prostitutes. No, that's wrong. And so he's saying, 
I want you to think differently, people. He says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Un-American to say that. You are not your own. Actually, it's broader than that. Non-human to say you're not your own. To say, oh, how dare you say that? I should do what I want, when I want, how I want, with whom I want, where I want. Nobody should tell me what to do. I'm my own person. Well, are you a believer? I really mean this. I want to drive this point home. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ and your body is not yours any longer? It belongs to God. For you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Since you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your what? Your body and your spirit, which are God's. So I asked the question, it's not a trick question, but it goes along with what he was talking about. If, if, if a believer's body belongs to God, not to themselves, and I'm now a member of Christ's body, should I take my body and go have sex with a prostitute? It's not a trick question. No. Now some of you are like, I'm not sure. No, the answer is no. No, no, you should not. Why? Because you're to use your body to what? Glorify God. I'm to use my body to glorify God. So, should I allow my body to do sinful things? The answer is no. Should I allow my body to go to sinful places? The answer is no. It takes a kind of radical, yet amazing commitment to Jesus to forsake sin and to live to please God. But what's the good news? Sin produces death. The Spirit produces life and peace. So the more I can walk in the Spirit, unless I walk in the flesh and in sin, the more life and peace I have, and I'm staying away from death. Now, this is a sad but true story. Many years ago, two former Crossroadians, which means people who attended this church, were drinking at a bar. Kind of sounds like a setup for a joke, doesn't it? Two Crossroadians went into a bar. Now, this is a true story. They go into a bar. They weren't friends or anything, but they'd seen each other because they attended this church on occasion. And they saw each other, and one of them walks up to the other one and says something to this effect. Hey, I am so glad you're not one of those self-righteous, uppity, holier-than-thou Christians. Let me buy you a drink. Okay. I so wish this was about a different church. So I could say, you know, those other churches, people, you know, you never know what they might do, but this is people who attended this church. They no longer attend here. So you kicked them out? No, I wish they were here today so they could grow in God. Amen. What happened was they took their body someplace it shouldn't be and used it for things they shouldn't be using it for. And by the way, that didn't grow them in their walk with Christ. So I asked this, not trick questions again. Do you think that episode I just showed you glorified God? No. Did that encounter of them looking across the bar and seeing a fellow Crossroadian, did that, did that drive them into a deeper relationship with Jesus? No, it did not. Did the people at the bar say, oh my gosh, your walk with Christ is so inspiring to me. I want to know Jesus. Now, honestly, in a negative way, there might have been people who said, oh, 
I guess I can say a little prayer and ask Jesus in my heart and not change the way I live and go live the same way I've always lived. I mean, that is appealing to the, the church, or not to the church, to the world. There's a lot of people in the world who say, I, I like Jesus and I like the gospel and I don't mind having a little of him sprinkled into my life in case I might need him, but not to the place, I mean, I don't want to get radical about this, not to the place I'm going to change my lifestyle, not to the place that I'm going to live differently, not to the place where I'm going to say no to sin and yes to God or no to my wishes and yes to God. So they weren't glorifying God with their bodies. And when you think of ways to forsake certain sins or say no to fleshly desires, how are we going to do that? We're only going to do that if we just radically say, you know what, I want to live for the joy and pleasure of glorifying God. But Tracy, some of your deepest desires might not get met. So be it, because my deepest desire really is him. God is actually imprinted in every person eternity in our hearts. There's something about, and if you don't believe it's just, sociology, I remember studying sociology. Do you know they haven't found a people group on planet Earth that doesn't pray or worship something? Why? Because there's something in us that wants to know God. And when we push that aside, then life isn't better because we live for ourselves. It's worse. So we got to take our faith past this surface superficial and then we have to do something else because some of my most sincere prayers are just, God, I want to want to. There may be something God's dealing with in your life. By the way, I, I hope no one leaves saying I felt beat up. I hope we looked at our situations in our life and said, I want more of him. I want to be inspired to have more of him. And so we should look at our lives and say, hold it, there's some things I'm struggling with and I get it. And quite frankly, I don't even want to quit doing it. But there's another part of me that wants to go after God. And so I think sometimes our most beautiful prayer is, God, I want to want to. Help me. I want to want to. My wanter needs some work. Would you help me with that? Because I want to want to. I want to want to say no to that. But I'm just not there. Help me. Empower me, Holy Spirit. Help me. Help me go after you. And there's one thing. Well, it's more than one thing, but one thing for sure I know about God. Uh, you don't get more of him and get less satisfied. You don't get more of Jesus and go, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. It's, it's always, Jesus is always perpetually pushing out life, goodness, kindness. He's always pushing that. So here's some, here's some action steps for us. Ask God to help you glorify him. I've always been perplexed by this, but I know it's true. Everything in our spiritual journey is asking God to help us. I have to ask God for help to love him more. Isn't that crazy? But he, he gets it. I have to ask God to be more righteous or to say no to sin. I have to, I have to ask God to help me glorify him. I, ha, I need God's help. And so our first step is ask God to help you glorify him. The second thing is develop some spiritual habits so that your mind can get fixed on the Lord. Now, so many times we go, well, you know, but my salvation isn't built upon rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. And I want to say 100%, it is not. So I'm not saying you've got to qualify to get to heaven by your Bible study and your prayer time. But I do want you to know this. Spending some time with the Lord in his word and in prayer and thinking about him 
is incredibly valuable to your spiritual growth. Being in the house of God today, incredibly valuable to your spiritual growth. It helps us fix our minds back on the Lord. I say this often. I believe coming to the house of the Lord helps me set my compass back to true north every week because the world isn't out there recalibrating your compass to God. Most of what you and I see on TV takes our compass off of true north. Most of the encounters we have with people often take our compass off true north. Coming to the house of the Lord, being with brothers and sisters in Christ, hearing the word of God, praying, worshiping, doing all those things helps us get our compass back on true north. And then the third thing, use your body to glorify God, not to participate in sin. Use your body to glorify God, not to participate in sin. For you and I have been bought with a price. We've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. There's no higher cost that could have been paid. And God the Father loved us so much, which again is the weightiness of God. How, in a beautiful way, how and why did you love us so much that you would send your son? Isaiah the prophet says, it was the Father's will to crush him. Now you say, well, that was mean. Why did he do that to Jesus? Jesus was a willing participant and said, I want to be in this. The son was with the program. I want to rescue fallen humanity. What are we that you are so mindful to us and so loving to us? I can't figure it out. I don't know it, but he does. It's part of his essence. He is love. And so just say thank you and receive it. But use your body to glorify God not to participate in sin.